Amen. Well, welcome to Two Cities Church, everyone. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to say thank you for joining us. And for everyone who's watching us online, in the VHQ, in the lobby, welcome. Um, incredible video, right? And it just it hits me, and um, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But one of the things that I find myself thinking when I see videos is like that is how grateful I am for our community groups here at Two Cities Church. If you're new here, if you don't know much about our community groups, we are a church of community groups, not a church with community groups. And some of the difference that you might hear is that we don't see community groups as just another program that we offer or some tangential thing that we have. We actually believe that the church scattered throughout the week in community groups is as important as the church gathered here together on Sundays. And one of the things we see our community groups doing is they are our primary vehicle for care here in Two Cities Church. You hear stories like the Irvins, and one thing that we're reminded of is that each and every single one of us is going to walk through struggles in our life, whether it's because of sin or suffering. And one of the things you heard them say is that you need other people to walk with you when you go through those times. And so when you watch that, maybe you're hearing what I'm saying and maybe it's not resonating with you because you're thinking, well, I'm not going through any times like that. Everything seems to be going pretty well for me. But I want to remind you of two things that are true for you. Number one is that everyone will walk through suffering. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And when that time comes, you want to be surrounded by people already. Some of you have walked through that time of suffering and you didn't have that support. And one of the good things I want to share with you is it's not too late to find relationships and community here at Two Cities Church. It's so easy. But the second thing that you need to know is that God made you to be able to walk with other people through their suffering. It's not always about what you get out of it. We don't want to be a church that asks the question all the time, what's in it for me? We want to be more of a church that asks the question, what can I do for other people? And here's what you're going to find. When you do that, you're going to realize that God sometimes grows you the most when you are the one who's loving and caring and serving other people. That's a beautiful thing that you, when you realize that, when you see that happen in your life, you realize this is the way it's supposed to be. One thing that we say here at Two Cities Church is that we are both needy and needed, and a community group is a place that you can be both of those things. And so as we dive in today, let's just take a moment to just stop and pray for community groups and for what God has for us today. Let's pray. Father, I love the things that you are doing through our community groups at this church. God, I'm thankful when I hear stories like the Irvings, people who are walking in their own time of brokenness and see the way that you are using your people to come around them, to love them, and to care for them. God, I pray for anyone in our church that's going through that right now, Lord, just that you would give them people that could walk with them. God, we thank you for all the things that you're doing in our groups. God, I thank you for the leaders that you've brought to our church and continue to bring to us. People like Johnny and Marshall Dobbins, the the group leaders for the Irvings, who give their time, their talent, and their treasure just to pour out their lives for other people. God, we pray that you would be doing a great work in this church. God, through our groups, God, for your name and for your glory, not just in our lives, but in the life of this city, God, that we would make your name great. Be with us as we dive into your word here today. God, would you speak to us and meet us where we're at. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you, open up to Exodus chapters five and six. That's where we're gonna be spending time today. And as you guys are opening up there, I wanna share with you one of the most important days of my life. It was July 18th, 2015, um, and I was about a year and a half into marriage with my wife, Kelly, which means we had pretty much figured everything out, right? <laughs> Not true, uh, you know, but we were growing, and it was beautiful. We actually saw that God was growing our family, too. We were getting ready to welcome a baby any day, and it was just really cool to see how God was working in our family. It was really cool to see even how God was working in my own life. It was a time of great personal growth in my relationship with the Lord. It was a Saturday, and I was actually getting ready all day to preach at my church that we were at at that time. And so I was spending time listening to what the Lord was trying, for, you know, trying to get me to be able to say and share with this church. And it was just a time in my life where I felt like I was growing deeply with him, where he was really clarifying what 
he wanted me to do with my life, and that was to serve and love the church. And so it was a beautiful day in so many ways, but that night when we got home, everything changed. Because when we got home, my wife told me that she thought something was wrong with our baby. And so we ended up going to the hospital to make sure that everything was okay. But shortly after we got there, the doctors told us that we had lost our son. And that was one of the most tangible experiences of brokenness that I have ever felt in my life. It was heartbreaking. And we're going to be talking a lot about brokenness today. It's a weighty word that God has for us. But when we talk about brokenness, I want to describe what that means when you're walking through that. I think the best way I can do that is when you're walking through that, the experience that you have, the thing that goes through your mind is, this is not the way things are supposed to be. When you find yourself saying that, that's how you recognize brokenness. And me and my wife found ourselves saying that over and over in the days and the weeks and the months to come after this. And this is a hard word, but the big idea that God has for us in these chapters is this, that obedience to God's call does not mean that life will be easy. It doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. And many of you already know that this is true because maybe you've walked through something similar. Maybe you've experienced this. And I've seen this over my life and heard stories of people encountering brokenness. I think about the high schooler that loves the Lord and just wants to walk in his faith, in his school where God's called him, but that's led him to be labeled an outcast. I think about the single woman who, who loves the Lord and also desires to be married. She's trying to be so faithful and she's letting God say, this is the kind of man I want you to marry. But as the years goes by, she still finds herself alone while others around her lower the bar. And they get into relationships and feel happy while she's left there wondering when and if it's ever gonna happen for her. I think about the employee who's just trying to live out his faith in his workplace. And so he doesn't cut corners. He doesn't do some of the other shady things that other people do. And it raises the bar for his coworkers. And now they hate him. I think about the adoptive couple who feel God's call on their life to bring an orphan into their home. Like many people who've gone before them doing that, they see when that happens, it's not quite the joy that they expected because it comes with heartache and struggle as well. I think about the man who's been faithful to God for decades of his life, trying to live for him, but even in the midst of that, feels the doubts weighing down on him every day about his faith and questions his salvation. I think about the missionaries who felt God calling them to go to the world and share the gospel with people who've never heard of him before, and so they give up everything they had. And shortly after they got there, they find out that one of their kids is sick. I think about the woman who God saved out of a life of messiness. So much sin, but she saw freedom and delivery for some of those things, but years and even decades into that, some of those sins that she felt like she was freed from come back and grab her again and fill her with despair. I think about the widow who's been walking with the Lord for decades, but loses her husband, and now all she feels is lonely and isolation. Each of those are stories of people who are sitting here today. They're people I've talked to and met over my lifetime, and each of them is a picture of brokenness. Each of them is left wondering, this is not the way it was supposed to be. But we have to talk about these things. I know it's a hard thing, but we have to talk it because in my years of ministry, one thing I've seen is that many people mistakenly believe that being a Christian and walking with the Lord means that we're gonna have a life of comfort. But that's not so much something that we get from the Bible, it's actually this American idea that we pick up because of the cultural current that we're swimming in. But it doesn't fit because, listen, brokenness and suffering flies in the face of the three top desires of all Americans, to be happy, to be healthy, and to be wealthy. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit into our five-year plan or our 25-year plan. We can't see brokenness the same way that generations and centuries of people before us were able to come and see it. They saw that it brought value and meaning into life, even if it was hard. Instead of asking the question, what can I get out of this, we're always asking the question, how can I get out of it? 
And so we see ourselves pushing brokenness to the fringes of our lives and to the fringes of society and acting like it doesn't exist. But here's the truth. When we do that, we are ultimately going to be disappointed. But the Bible and God do something differently when it comes to brokenness. Instead of hiding it away, the Bible doesn't hide brokenness from it from us. What it does is it prepares us for it. It says, don't be surprised. And we're going to see this in this passage in, if, in Exodus 5 and 6. We're going to see it in places in the New Testament like 1 Peter 4, 12 when it says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And so the Bible is saying today, prepare your heart. Don't be surprised because being a Christian and following God is not a pain-free life. And so what we're going to see in Exodus 5 and 6 is you are about to see Israel face plant into brokenness. Get ready, okay? It's not going to be pleasant. But what God is doing through these chapters is he's preparing us and he's speaking to the reality of our existence. But also, what he is going to be doing is he's going to be showing a way forward for us when we encounter brokenness. And so let's look at chapter Chapter 5, verse 1, the first big point that you need to take today, write this down, let it sink down into your heart, it's this, we will experience brokenness. Do not leave here today expecting anything otherwise. Verse 1, it says, afterward Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Now, if you remember, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we see Moses and Aaron are doing a good job. They're immediately following up on what God had told them to do. And so everything that's about to happen, take a note of this, it's not a result of sin. It's not a result of backsliding. Everything they're about to experience comes on the heels of obedience to God. Verse 2 says, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met us. Please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And in this passage, we're going to see that we're going to experience brokenness in three distinct ways. The first way that we see that we're all going to experience brokenness is this. We will experience broken people. We will all experience broken people. And Pharaoh is the perfect picture of the kind of broken person that we're gonna meet each and every single day of our lives in this world. And you can recognize broken people because they have two problems. Number one, they have an acknowledgement problem and they have an attitude problem. So let's look at Pharaoh for that acknowledgement problem. Verse two, it says, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? He says, I do not know the Lord. You see, the problem with Pharaoh is that he doesn't know who the Lord is, and moreover, he doesn't want to know who the Lord is. He has no interest in the God of Moses. He doesn't want to acknowledge him. And so we see, man, That's not a surprise because Pharaoh was a king in Egypt, and Egypt was a nation that had hundreds of gods. So why should he pay attention to this one? And moreover, we see Pharaoh came from a dynasty of kings that were taught and actually believed that they were divine gods. When people think that they're God, they have no interest in the true God. And so Moses has an acknowledgement problem. But before we go and look down on Moses, one of the things you need to do when we come to this passage is not so much look at yourself as Moses or Israel first, the thing we have to do in this passage is see that we are far more like Pharaoh than we want to acknowledge, okay? And so we too have an acknowledgement problem just like Pharaoh. You know what? We may not be worshiping all these gods and the culture around us in the same way that we see the Egyptians. We may not have temples and, man, uh, pyramids that represent the gods, but we have different kinds of monuments that represent the gods that we worship, And so pay attention to this. Go drive around and look at the flags that people are hanging on their houses. Look at the signs that people are posting up in their yards right now. Look at the bumper stickers that we slap on our cars. Look at the posts we post on Facebook. You can see reflections of people's gods in their credit card statements. If you really know where to look, you can see gods everywhere around us 
that we are giving our lives to. And when it comes to worshiping ourselves, we do, you know, not as explicitly as Pharaoh, we do this functionally, but we worship ourselves in a way that Pharaoh does explicitly, right? He says he's a God, but we act like we are gods in our lives because we believe that the world revolves around us. We functionally believe like people exist to come around us and meet our needs and make us happy and to make us satisfied. And we act as if we are the main character in the story of existence. And so we too have an acknowledgement problem just like Pharaoh. And when we fail to acknowledge who God is, what he's created for, and what he's called us to, that's when things start to fall apart. That's when we see acknowledgement problems becoming attitude problems. And we see this in Pharaoh. Look at this. It says, I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. This acknowledgement problem has led him to have a sinful attitude that says to God, I am not going to do that. I'm not interested in what you have to say. And we can do the same thing when we have our own, thus saith the Lord moment, when we read the Bible or we hear God say something to us in a sermon or one of our Christian friends speaks truth into our life. How many of you have ever said, yeah, I'm not going to do that? <laughs> no hands. Okay. <laughs> but you know. And so, man, we, we, we do that. And that's pointing to our broken, sinful attitudes that we have in our heart that deep down we're saying, I am not willing to submit to what God has called me to do. And those attitude problems always lead to problematic actions. Because here's what happens. Broken people hurt people. Almost all the brokenness that we see in our world today comes as a result of broken people hurting people. And we can be on the receiving and the giving end of that, right? And so what do we do with that? What do broken people need? Well, we know as we look through Scripture that the thing that broken people need the most is the Lord. Broken people need the Lord. And Pharaoh actually asks a good question to Moses here. He says, who is the Lord? He might not be asking it the right way, but he's asking the right question. And the rest of the book of Exodus is going to be God answering Pharaoh's question. Pharaoh is about to find out exactly who God is when he gives these plagues to the people of Israel, when he pours out his judgment, when he delivers them in the Exodus. Pharaoh knows that God is the Lord even over Pharaoh and over Egypt. And here's the thing that you need to know. Not only will Pharaoh come to know who God is, every single one of us one day will stand before the Lord and we are going to find out exactly who he is too. And that can be a scary thought for people who don't know him here and now. And so if you're here today and you don't know who the Lord is, I plead with you, find out who he is. Maybe that means you keep coming and we're gonna tell you more about him. Maybe that means you asking questions. Maybe that means you seeking him because you need to know the Lord. And Two Cities Church, here's our call, is that God is telling us to tell people about who he is, especially the broken. So we need to be a church that tells people who the Lord is. So we will experience, number one, broken people. Number two, we will experience a broken world. Look with me in verse six, it says, the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people, okay, those are Egyptians, and their foremen, those are Hebrews. He said, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. And this is bad news because straw is something that you need for bricks. It brings integrity and without it, they're just crumbles. He says, let them go and get straw for themselves. So Pharaoh says, okay, you want to go somewhere? Fine. Go find your own straw. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them and shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. They cry, therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor in it and pay no attention to lying words. In the verses 10 through 14, we see Pharaoh enforcing this. Just a little historical background for you guys. Brickmakers were vital to the expansion and growth of Egypt. The glory of Egypt literally was built on the backs of these brickmakers. And we would see things like 
Pyramids, and a pyramid was just a tomb for a pharaoh. One pyramid took about 24 and a half million bricks to make. And each of these brick-making slaves would have a quota of about 3,000 bricks they needed to make every day, but they would rarely ever meet that quota. Now on top of that, they gotta go find their own straw. And not only were these people, man, having to do this work, they were also one of the most degraded people in the Egyptian society. One ancient Egyptian writer wrote this about the slave brickmakers. He describes them as this. He says, he is dirtier than vines or, or pigs from treading under his mud. His clothes are stiff with clay. His leather belt is going to ruin. Entering into the wind, he is miserable. His sides ache since he must be outside in a treacherous wind. His arms are destroyed with mechanical work. What he eats is the bread of his fingers, and he washes himself only once a season. He is simply wretched through and through. Now, can you imagine what it's like to be forced to do this day in and day out, to be looked down on as if you were nothing? And then on top of that, Pharaoh comes along and decides to make your life 10 times harder. You know, and the punishment is, more work if you don't do it, or death. How does that sound? Can you imagine this life where you are a slave, you're counted as nothing? These people didn't need oppression. What they needed was mercy. And Pharaoh is actually a good stand-in for Satan, for us. It speaks to our own existence because Satan does not want to let us go. You know, God's people in Israel, or God's people in Egypt, is just a microcosm of God's people in this world. And just like Pharaoh was the ruler over Egypt, we see in the scripture over and over again that Satan is the ruler of this world. Jesus himself says this in John 12, Satan, the ruler of the world. The apostle John says in 1 John 5, we know that the world is under the control of the evil one. And this is an enemy who does not want to let us go. He does not want to let us have our way. He wants to push us harder. He wants to break our will. In many ways, we are living a life under a ruler who is trying to make us make bricks without straw. He's taking a life that at times can seem unbearable and trying to make it even more impossible. And we can see this in a hundred different ways around us, right? Just take COVID-19, for example. Many of you and many people in our world already before COVID-19 came struggled with loneliness and isolation and depression. But what do we see COVID-19 do? It took that and ramped it up to unbearable levels for people. There was a study that was just done that said they believe that as many as 75,000 people in this country are going to die from what they call deaths of despair. Those are people who have, because they can't handle whatever's going on, they're gonna overdose on drugs or alcohol or they're gonna commit suicide. It's taking something that's already hard enough and making it seem unbearable to people. Or I think about people who walk through chronic illness. I've known several people who've done this and it can take simple things in life like going to work or just interacting with your kids. Things that admittedly can be hard enough on their own, but make it unbearable. You take life, you take the world, and inject a little more oppression into it. That's what Satan loves to do. And so we all experience, not just broken people, we experience a broken world. But the last thing that we see here is that we are all going to probably, some of you have, may have already experienced this, we experience a broken church. We experience a broken church. Look with me in verse 15. It says, Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But Pharaoh said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now go and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. And the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce the number of bricks, your daily task each day. 
Then they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the, in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and you have put a sword in their hands to kill us. You guys, this is exactly what Pharaoh wanted. Pharaoh's shrewd. He knows that if he can turn the people against Moses and Aaron, then he's already won. And so he tries to create a war amongst themselves. And this is what the enemy wants to do with us as well. Because he knows in the face of brokenness, Satan would love to turn the church on each other. Because the opposition that we face inside the own, our own church feels far worse than sometimes the oppression that we feel outside of the church. And this is ironic because God gave us the church to be able to walk with one another through brokenness, not to create it. And so Satan's laughing at this because, man, Israel forgets about God and they turn and they hurt one another. And that's what we do when we forget about God too. We live out that identity with just broken people and all we do is hurt one another. And so don't be surprised when this happens in the church. Again, coming back to that, don't be surprised because it is filled with broken people. And sometimes we just don't know what to do with that hurt, right? Sometimes we just turn against each other because it feels better to maybe take it out on somebody else than have to deal with it ourselves. We respond out of sinfulness all the time. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been hurt by someone in the church? Maybe it was in the past. Maybe it was recently. I would be willing to guess that most of us could probably say yes. And that breaks God's heart. So what do we do when that happens? Again, let's not be surprised when it does happen. What do we do with that? Well, one of the plumb lines that we say here, we, we say it every weekender, is that one of the things we can do is assume the best in people. Because sometimes we just misunderstand people. Maybe someone did something to you because they had a really hard day. They were living in a broken world, surrounded by broken people, and we just let it go. And sometimes we just forget who we're talking to, and we don't mean what we say, we don't mean what we do, and so sometimes what we need to get better at doing is just giving people the benefit of the doubt, maybe extending grace to people a little bit more than what we do. I think that's a great first step. But the reality is, again, there is sin. And so what we do is that we are quick to forgive people. We're quick to ask people for forgiveness. And we try to reconcile because we are a reconciliation family. And maybe here's what God's inviting us to do as Two Cities Church. When we look at the people around us, because there are a lot of people who are not in the church anymore because of the brokenness that they experienced in the past. What would it look like if Two Cities Church loved those people well and loved them in such a way that we brought them back into fellowship? That's what God is inviting us to. And here's something else that we need to understand from this passage is that pastors and church leaders are no exception to this, right? There are no exceptions. Pastors and church leaders will sin against people too. And so the, the invitation is the same for them, that we are quick to seek forgiveness and to reconcile. I'll tell you guys the truth. I've had to do this several times in my four years at this church, and that's okay. That's the reality of what it's like when we are broken, sinful people. But here's something else that I think God wants us to understand from this passage is that sometimes conflicts can come with pastors and church leaders because they can be misunderstood, just like everybody else in the church. We see Moses and Aaron, they weren't trying to make things unbearable for Israel. They were trying to do what God had called them to do. And sometimes hurt happens when church leaders and pastors, they're trying to do what God's calling people to do. They might be having hard conversations with you. They might be trying to call you up. And so when that happens... I can humbly admit, we're not going to get it right every time. It's the reality. We're not going to get it right. Community group member, your church, your community group leader is not going to get it perfect. But I can bet you they're trying. And so when you experience that, when there might be that misunderstanding, let's be quick to give grace and assume the best in our church leaders or pastors too and forgive them when they seek forgiveness and reconciliation as well. And so that's how we respond. You will experience a broken church. You will experience broken people. You will experience a broken world. And so the next thing that we have to ask ourselves is this. What do you do when you come face to face with that brokenness? Where do you turn to? 
Where do you go when you feel this disappointment, when you feel this conflict of faith, when you need strength and you need help? Well, number two, the next thing that we see God calling us to, not only will we experience brokenness, but we turn to God in brokenness. We turn to God in brokenness. And what did the foreman do? We see, well, the foreman, they went first to Pharaoh instead of to God. And then they went to Moses and Aaron before they went to God. You see, their route was to complain before they prayed. But what we see in Moses is that he shows us the right direction to turn in brokenness. Look with me in verse 22. It says, then Moses turned to the Lord. This is the right thing to do, but it's often the most hard thing to do. Because when we come face to face with brokenness, man, what we would rather do is just go into a corner, just withdraw and feel bad for ourselves, right? Or to turn and take it out on other people. We talked about that. But one of the growing marks of a mature Christian is how quickly you turn to the Lord when you come to brokenness. If you are growing in the Lord, if you're growing in maturity, you're going to seek him really quickly, more and more in your life, when you come face to face with brokenness. Let's look at the rest of verse 22. The Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So he did a good thing. He went to God, but maybe not the best things to say, right? You see, he's questioning God's goodness, his purpose, his actions. And this is probably a good thing because Moses reminds us of somebody, right? Us. (laughs) You know, he's a sinful, broken person too. He's acting out of a crisis of faith. But on a positive note, he does go to God. He even addresses him as Adonai, which means master, saying, God, I believe that you're in control over this situation, even if I don't see it. And that's what God's inviting us to do. Moses is a good example to us. We turn to God, and we can ask questions. We see this all throughout the Psalms, people being honest with God about what they're feeling and what they're walking through. They cry out to him. They lament. They bring God their questions. We see this in Job, who comes before him and is brutally honest with him about what he's going through. But perhaps the best example that we can see is the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was perfect in every way, but he was not exempt from brokenness. And what do we see him do? We see him encountering broken people, a broken world, broken church, and responding the right way. You know, I had a thought this week. What is it that most people think about when they're going through their doubts because of brokenness? I've seen this in my own life, and I've talked with other people. One of the things they're thinking is, has God abandoned me? Has God abandoned me? When we look at the Bible, the good news is we see, no, he hasn't. But here's the thing about Jesus. He actually experienced abandonment from God. Said God turned his face away from him. He experienced what we (laughs) hope to death we never will. But even in the midst of that, he was still faithful to God. He still believed in him. And so we see responses like this in the garden when he cries out to God, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not what my will be, but what yours, right? We see him on the cross crying out to God, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are not sinful questions. We can take them to God. He can handle that. What we do is we just try to make sure, man, be humble, be honest, and try to be filled with faith as we say them too. We can ask God those questions. And here's what happens. In these moments that we cry out, God gives us exactly what we need to keep going and to keep fighting. Which brings us to our third point. We fight brokenness with God's promises. The way that we fight brokenness is with God's promises. And in Moses' moment of brokenness, we see God answer him and remind him of a few things. Number one, he reminds him of who he is. We see God's response to to Moses, the phrase, three times is said, I am the Lord. We see it at the beginning, the middle, and the end. If you want to know what that means, it's the equivalent of a cosmic mic drop, all right? God's saying, I am God. That should be enough. He reminds Moses of what he's done, but more importantly for us today, he gives Moses three promises. He reminds them, and these are promises that God is also extending to us 
to take and to press into and remind ourselves in the moments of brokenness. The first promise is this, that God is in control. God is in control. Look with me in 6.1, it says, but the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. You see, God assures Moses that there is only one sovereign, and it's not the guy wearing the snake crown, right? It's God. God's plan is not going to be thwarted. Pharaoh is going to do exactly what God wants him to do. And even if it seems like hope is lost, even when it seems like everything is crumbling down, even when it seems at its darkest, God reminds Moses that I am still in control here. And this is something that many of us get theologically. We get this idea that God's in control in our heads. But functionally, we are emotional train wrecks, right? Because for many of us, we have not allowed this truth in our head to sink down into our hearts. Maybe what God's calling you to do is to remember this over and over again in such a way that you believe it rather than just know it. And I'll admit, sometimes that is very hard to do. That's why I'm reminded of a Charles Spurgeon quote. It's very famous. He said this, when you can't understand, when you can't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. When you find yourself in moments when you can't believe that God is in control, even of this, God's just inviting you to trust his heart and remember, he loves you. He's gonna be taking care of you. And if you can trust in his heart, that is going to allow you more and more to believe that he is in control. And so God is in control, that's the first promise. Number two, we see God keeps his covenants. God keeps his covenants, and that's a good promise he makes to us. We see in verse 2, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. By my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land to which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of my people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant." If this sounds familiar, if you've been tracking with us for the past weeks, it's because he's already said it to Moses. But he's having to say it again because one of the greatest problems that Christians face is forgetfulness. And so sometimes we need to be reminded of things that we were once told but have forgotten. And we need to be reminded of things because sometimes we've forgotten to believe what we've been told. And so we remind ourselves of these things. And we see God saying, I have remembered my covenant. He's telling Moses, I haven't forgotten. Psalms 105.8 says, God remembers his covenants forever. That's good news. He's emphasizing that he remembers all of it. But when you see this phrase in the Bible, here's what it means. It means when God remembers his covenant that he's about to take action. He's about to move on behalf of the people or persons he's made this covenant with. And we're about to see God fulfill his covenant with the nation of Israel. That's what the rest of this book is about. And ultimately, we see God establishing his covenant with us in Jesus Christ. And here's the good news for you today. Jesus Christ is in heaven at the right hand of God, interceding each moment of your life for you. He hasn't forgotten. He remembers you, and he is interceding for you. He will keep his covenant. And the last promise that God gives us is this. God saves. God saves we see in this passage, God saves in three different ways. Number one, God saves us by delivering us. God saves us through deliverance. In verse six it says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from the slavery to them. If you want to underline those two words, burdens and slaveries, Slavery, here's what that means. God says he's going to free them from the burden that's the experience of brokenness. God is someday going to ex free you from that experience of brokenness that you feel right now. But we also see that he's going to free us from slavery. Those are the circumstances that cause that experience of brokenness. And the good news is for some of you, that's going to be here in this lifetime. 
You're going to see God deliver you from that lie, from that addiction, from that relationship, whatever it might be that is causing that experience of brokenness. God may be delivering you here in this lifetime. But for everybody else, if that doesn't happen in this lifetime, what we know for sure is that in eternity, we will be free from that forever. And the slavery and the burden that we feel right now will just be a momentary blip in the context of eternity. And that's the good news of deliverance. God saves us in that way. He also saves us for intimacy. God saves us for intimacy. Look with me at the end of verse 6. It says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And here we see one of the first times in the Bible the use of the word redeem. And here's what a redeemer is. A redeemer is an avenger. Contrary to popular belief, God was the first avenger, not Captain America. Right? So he redeems us. He avenges us. He's a protector and a provider. God redeems us from slavery, but he also redeems us for something. We see that he redeems us to be his people. And this is the language of adoption. It says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. This is a beautiful thing. Through adoption, he's bringing us into his family. And J.I. Packer, a famous theologian, said, adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers. It is literally the greatest thing about our salvation is that we know what it's like to have God as our father. And so he redeems us to be his people so that we can trust him as he loves, leads, and care for us. He saves us for intimacy, but thirdly, he saves us for an inheritance. Verse 8, it says, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And so we see God saying to his people, I am going to give you a land. And for people who are slaves that have nothing, that is a great news. He's giving them a home. He's giving them blessings. He's going to shower them with them. But what we see for us as a church is that we are given the hope of a new heavens and new earth. And I think the best verse that illustrates this idea of inheritance is 1 Peter 1.4. Read that with me. It says, according to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter tells us a little bit about this inheritance. He says, this inheritance is awesome. It's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, but he also tells us that this inheritance is assured. It's kept in heaven for us. Nothing can take it away from us. Many of you might know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is. He was a German pastor who was executed in 1945 in a concentration camp, mere weeks before the end of World War II. And in the day leading up to his own death, hanging from the gallows, he gathered together other people in the concentration camp and held a worship service. And in the day that he was about to die, he chose to focus on this verse, 1 Peter 1.4. In the face of death, he chose to remind himself and the people around him that they had an inheritance that was imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that was kept in heaven for them. God gives us these promises so that in our darkest moments, we have something that we can cling on to, some hope that we can have, even in the worst of times. And if we can believe these promises, if we can believe that God is in control, that God keeps his covenants, and that God saves us, we are going to have all that we need to find hope and peace and rest, even in the midst of brokenness. We don't have to do anything else. It says seven times, I will, God will. It's not about what you bring to the table. It's not about what you have to do. All you have to do is depend on him and what he says he's going to do. And so what we do in the when we encounter this brokenness, all we have to simply do is just remind ourselves of these promises. We preach the gospel to ourselves. 
And you can do that a number of different ways. That's reading the Bible. Maybe you need to listen to songs. Come here and hear the truths that God is singing over you. Let them sink into your heart. Put them on your phone so you can remind yourself of these truths. You can talk to people and hear stories of people who've gone through brokenness before you. That's one of the gifts that God has given the church, is countless examples of people who have walked through brokenness but remained faithful to him. You can even preach the gospel to yourself by looking back in your own life and seeing the ways that God was faithful to you through all of those things. And when you have those things, when you remind yourself of those promises, when you remind yourself of the gospel, when you remind yourself of these precious truths, it allows you to do the last point and the thing that he wants us to do out of brokenness with his promises, it's this, we act on God's promises. Not only do we receive God's promises, God gives us these promises so that we will go and act on them. And one of the ways that we do this, and we see Moses doing this, is we not only preach the gospel to ourselves, we preach it to other people too. It says in 6.9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. What we see him do is he immediately turns around after receiving these precious truths and he shares them with other people. You need to share them with believers around you who are walking through hard times. You need to share them with people who don't know Christ because God gives us these promises not just for ourselves. He gives them to us so that we can share them with other people. And here's the sad thing, but it's true, and so I want to prepare you. All right, I wanted to skip over the rest of this verse, but I can't. It says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirits and harsh slavery. Sometimes when you preach the gospel, people are not going to respond to it. That's truth. But here's the thing, even when people don't respond, keep going. Because the one time the person hears and receives it is worth all the rest of the times that they don't. I was an RA my last two years of college and I felt like God was calling me to be on that floor so I could share the gospel with the people that God placed there in front of me. I'll tell you, over those two years, I took people out and shared my faith with dozens of them, and not a single one of them received it. But there was one guy whose name was Matt, who I shared the gospel with, and he put his trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And I can tell you what, that one time made all of the other times worth it. And so whenever, even if people don't respond, keep going. And even if nobody else follows you, you go and do what God calls you to do. That's what the rest of this chapter is about. They reject what Moses says to them, but you know what? It says in 7-7, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. And so even when nobody else is going with us, we take God's promises and we act on them in faith. And so as we come to a close, there's just one last question I want us to consider, and it's an important one. It's where do we find the power to be able to do all of this? Because if you're like me and you've been through an experience of brokenness, sometimes it's a wonder that you can even get out of your bed and just get on with your life. So where do we find the power to do all the rest of these things? And so I just want to remind you once more of the gospel. I want to remind you of some precious truths that the Lord has given you to empower you In these chapters, we see God say to the Israelites, you will see what I will do, but today God says something far better to us, far greater. He doesn't say to us, you will see what I will do. He says, you will see what I have done. That's what we get with the rest of the book of Exodus. We see God pouring out his power and delivering his people, but ultimately we see what God has done on the cross and in the empty tomb. Because when we look at the cross, we see that the Lord is a God who keeps his promises. We see God keeping his promises. 2 Corinthians 2.10 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are made, yes, in Christ. And so when you find yourself being overwhelmed by brokenness, when your life seems to be getting harder rather than better, look to the cross of Christ and the empty tomb and you're gonna see a God who keeps his promises. You're gonna see a God who is in control because on the cross it did not look like he was in control. It looked like Satan and sin and evil had won, but really what was happening is God was accomplishing exactly what he meant and what he planned out from eternity past. 
We see God taking the folly and the weakness and the defeat of the cross and turning it into victory. And so when you are struggling under brokenness, when your life seems to be getting harder rather than better, look to the cross and you will see a God who makes victory out of brokenness. He brings triumph out of our struggles. You see a God who redeems us on the cross and you see his love spread out wide for all to see. In verse 6-6 of Exodus, we see God saying, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a great act of judgment. And we see that fulfilled here in this chapter, but ultimately, we see this fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Because on the cross, both arms of God were outstretched for us. And on the cross, there was a great act of judgment, but it was not God pouring out his judgment on his enemies, not on us. He poured it out on himself in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ dying for us was the very thing that redeemed us. And so when you are struggling with brokenness, when life seems to be getting harder rather than better, look to the cross and you will see the one who makes all things possible for you, even in the face of brokenness. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we need this good news today. God, it's a hard truth that sometimes we can shy away from, but I know that there are people here in this room watching with us right now that are walking through this right now in their life. They're the ones who are saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be. But you give us a word that's far better than we could ever believe in those moments. God, I pray that they would take your promises and find rest and peace and hope. God, for those of us who are not there right now, I pray that you would be preparing us for those times so that when they do come, we run to you, not to anything else. Run to you. We go to your word, we listen to your people, and we remind ourselves of these promises. And I pray that Two Cities would be a church that even as we walk through those times, we can respond in such a way that we make much of you. That even when things seem their darkest, the gospel would shine brighter than ever because of the hope that we have in you, even in brokenness. God, would you take this and use this in our lives today? It's in Christ's name, amen.